and welcome back to the Replatform podcast. Thanks for tuning in as always. It's myself, James Gerd, and joined by my co-host, Paul Rogers. Uh, hey there, mate. Yeah, good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, enjoying this dark, cold, grey winter's evening in the UK. It's about, was it, half five now, and it's it's like pitch black outside. So I'm locked down for the evening in, in my uh, home office with a beer and quite happy. Nice. Yeah, I've, uh, I've got to go running yet, but um, I think I might have one later on. Oh, unlucky. I, I have my exercise tomorrow, so this evening is pure indulgence. It's marvellous. So uh, we're going to be talking today about key changes to uh, leading e-commerce platforms in 2020. What myself and Paul do is to take a stock. We're, you know, we're at the end of November now. Um, people are locked down, ready for peak trading. We wanted to, to take time out to have a think about what's happened to, to platforms. What are the key feature announcements that have got our attention? Um, you know, where people are, are you know, pivoting in their strategy or they're acquiring uh, interesting technology to beef up their proposition or they're doing something uh, interesting. So we're going to talk through what we've picked out and what we've noticed and what we think is interesting. And, you know, a lot of the platforms we're going to talk about today is going to be focused around the ones that appear in things like Gartner's uh, e-commerce quadrant. So we're looking at, you know, leaders in the in the marketplace like Adobe, Magento, Salesforce, um, Looking at uh, the the challenges like Shopify, Big Commerce, Epi Server, and then also looking at uh, I guess less less known and less used in the UK, but growing well uh, platforms like uh, Shopware, and also looking at the kind of more API driven um, uh, and um, microservices based platforms such as Elastic Path and Commerce Tools. We also appreciate that there are many other e-commerce platforms out there, so we will try and touch on some of the ones that we're aware of. There are platforms that have appeared on the podcast in the past, such as Proximus, which is uh, really well established in France and Europe and grown in the UK. Shopit run um, uh, out of the UK, which has got really interesting pay-as-you-grow model, and we've covered that in a previous episode. And there are other um, platforms out there like Volution, VisualSoft, etc. So this won't be an exhaustive list because there's just not enough time in the world to, to, to digest every platform. So as I said, we're, we're going to try and pick out the, the, the key platform changes we've seen. Uh, I'm not sure. Was that, was that a, a good enough summary, Paul? Have you got anything to add? No, no, I think, yeah, I think that's good. And I think, yeah, we'll probably start by going through some of the mainstream ones and then maybe talk about, um, yeah, some of the ones that I think we both think will grow in 2021. Yeah, the one thing I will always recommend to people is go on and find the release notes for different platforms. It's really interesting to trawl through, and they didn't have varying degrees of, of quality and ease of finding, but normally if you check for things, you know, do a Google search like release notes for you know SAP Hybris, release notes for Salesforce Commerce Cloud, you'll, you'll get to the relevant documentation, and it will list out the releases from the year. We'll talk about roadmaps. So you can get a really good flavor for where they're really spending their effort, like how much time of it is bug fixing versus feature releases. I mean, EpiServer's got a really nice page on that where you can filter to buy bugs, features, enhancements, etc., which is quite a nice way of looking. So well worth doing that as well. And also um, another one that I quite like is the town halls as well. So like Big Commerce and Shopify do monthly town halls where they talk about the roadmap and like, any kind of feature releases or um, kind of bug fixes or anything like that they've done that month. Yes, yeah, good point. I get, I get the alerts as well. I do love the fact they both call them the same thing. So, is that just? Is it just because it's it's a, a common term in in uh, America amongst the? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where that came from. But yeah, I've seen a few other software companies use it. But, um, but yeah, that is a funny one. I think we should do a regular town hall on Replatform. That's all. Yeah, reposition it from a podcast to a town hall. <laughs> 
This is our 2020 town hall on e-commerce platforms, starring myself and Paul Rogers. There we go. Sounds quite good. I like that. So where should we start? Let, how about we start with Shopify? Let's let's start with some of the ones where where I know that you'll have a, a wealth of uh, of um, info to share because you've been doing a lot of projects on Shopify. So um, I'm going to just I'm going to throw out the the key announcements uh, that's recently happened. I'm going to let you kind of rule the roost on this. So checkout's been opened up from an API point of view, and subscriptions integrated into the core checkout. Fire away, mate. Yeah, so I think that was um, a pretty big one. Um, there's been rumours around that for quite a long time, and they announced uh, at the last, uh, so 2019 Unite, uh, they kind of announced moving towards that. Um, but yeah, it still seemed to come as a bit of a shock. But yeah, I think that's a really good one, and um, it'll kind of allow for a, a lot more um, uh, freedom for people to use things like Shopify payments and generally kind of vaulting and various other kind of uh, benefits of being able to do that within Shopify. Um, and then I think there's been loads of stuff. I think 2020 has been a good year for Shopify. Uh, lots of kind of even not necessarily new features, but I also feel, I mean, the biggest one for me, I feel like they're finally getting somewhere with international. So that's always been the biggest um, limitation. And we, we've done a lot with Shopify and it's become kind of our main platform over the last year. Um, and I think that's the one that has really kind of frustrated a lot of our clients, but um, they've kind of, done their first releases towards kind of multi-store so they've changed kind of how um the stores are set up so there's kind of some relationship um they've got things like reporting across different stores you can use flow across different stores now um they've introduced locales as well for languages um i think so multi so price lists or uh, kind of manual um, pricing for multi-currency rather than just using a blanket um, exchange rate um, is in beta now, which is good. So that's a big one. Um, yeah. How been- simple is it? Is it because uh, one of the biggest, well, not one of the big, but one of the issues is the fact that you couldn't do like proper subfolders on a, on a main domain for different um, Yeah. Contexts. So is that, is the locales addressing that? The so locales does address that but it still has quite a few limitations. So actually, I think in most instances, you probably wouldn't use it yet, but um, all the signs are there. They're going down that route with the, or at least um, kind of going to progress that so that it can address some of the kind of um, main issues with having multiple stores. Um, but yeah, so in theory, you could do it. Um, the only issue is, is that if, for example, I had a French store, chances are I want to be able to merchandise that store independently. And um, it's about more than content and certain apps you might want to use or not use across those stores. And you want to be able to manage pricing differently, etc. Um, so there's still quite a few limitations, but it's it's a move in the right direction. Um, and then beyond the international stuff, so there's been kind of uh, lots of um, little uh, feature releases uh, since the start of COVID. So for kind of the SMB side, things like the curbside pip, uh, pickup, etc. Um, quite a few improvements to Shopify payments and uh, the multi-currency stuff. They've rolled out a lot of new currencies. Um, Shopify Pay installments was another big one that was announced. Um, sections everywhere. I think everyone's pretty frustrated that this um, isn't actually um, available yet. But equally, I think there's going to be. I think I think there's going to be an announcement in the can you next. Clarify, but for those for those listening who aren't uh, okay with Shopify and Shopify sections, can you just clarify yeah. what they are? So essentially, sections are kind of 
components or reusable components. Um, so you can kind of use sections on different templates and kind of drag and drop um, different elements of a product detail page, for example, and sections everywhere is basically the ability to use those across different templates. Um, yeah, and allow you to kind of reuse different components that you might have on a PDP across like a blog, for example. Yeah, um, yeah so that's a, a good move in the right direction. Um, and I think a lot of people have wanted that for quite a long time. Um, and I think initially it was supposed to come out by the end of the year, um, but supposedly it's going into beta. I think there's an announcement in the next town hall or something around it. Um, but yeah, and then I, I feel like generally there's also just been a lot of like positivity around the ecosystem as well. So uh, they've started rolling out their certified apps. Um, yeah, lots of kind of new integrations that have um, helped the platform. I think they've been pushing a lot of the kind of key technology partners to like allow for things like the multi-currency stuff that they've been doing, etc. Um, yeah, so I feel like Shopify overall has had a pretty good year. So I'm going to take you back to the checkout because I think you know there, there are some people who understand Shopify, what Shopify checkout has been, what Shopify payments are, and 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 some of the the kind of pros and cons of that, and others who be new to this who, who won't really know what the benefit is. So let's pick out a couple of benefits. Like the key one for me is subscriptions integration because previously, if you wanted to do subscriptions, you had to use a third party app, which is pretty much always Recharge. And Recharge is a fantastic subscription management tool, but it meant that Recharge took over the checkout. So you were basically in a Recharge checkout, not a Shopify checkout, which obviously has limitations because. You can't do full customized checkout flows when you're having to push into a third-party checkout experience. So that was a key thing that jumped out to me is that that subscriptions would be integrated into the core checkout, which means that you could, along with the opening up of the API, that gives you that flexibility to create a custom on-brand checkout experience without any limitations, depending on the different payment methods you're choosing. Um, how, what sort of businesses do you think this is going to benefit the most? I think, um, I mean, the subscription side is definitely the biggest one. And I think there's a lot of, as good as like Recharge and Bold are the two biggest ones. I think as good as they are, there's a lot of frustrations around having the um, kind of separate checkout and having to, you know, manage things like discount codes and gift cards and things like that in two places, essentially. Um, but, and I think... This essentially allows you to have that one checkout. It opens up lots of kind of it opens up different journeys as well. Like one of the examples um, that people are using is um, essentially like post-purchase uh, subscription upsell. Um, so you could have like a one-click um, switch to subscriptions option, for example. Um, and also like the journey through the checkout can be a lot cleaner. Um, you could still have the option of um, it being subscription or um, a standard purchase through the checkout. Um, yeah, and I think um, the other the other side of it as well is that Shopify payments um, will be subscription compatible, which is a good yeah. move in the right direction. Yeah, exactly. And for those who are, I mean, good, although the terminology isn't the greatest, I mean, the, the headless revolution, lots of people wanting to to have a completely like um, customizable front end that's separate to the e-commerce application. Having a, a, a full open API for checkout enables that rather than having a site that throughout the core journey is you know seemingly headless, but then has to push back into a standard checkout in order to complete that transaction. 
think um, I do think I mean this is obviously good for Shopify as well because it's a, it's going to be a lot more transactions running through their checkout yeah. um, and Shopify payments, which is a big part of their income. Um, but I think it's going to be really good for merchants as well. Like we've worked with a few kind of big subscription companies, and this has been a real kind of frustration. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it, I think it'll be a really good um, move for them. Definitely. Um, okay, let's move on to the next platform. So we're going to talk about Shopware. Uh, Shopware, very, very strong heritage in the German market. Uh, again, it's been growing in the UK and, and throughout Europe. Shopware version 6 was launched at the end of last year, which is their, their kind of API-focused version, a, a key architectural change from 5. When we spoke to them, at, um, they were one of the first podcast guests. Version 6 is still quite uh, in its infancy, it's matured a lot. There are uh, customers, you know, have moved from five to six on it, and they've introduced uh, recently the Shopware Cloud as well, which is a free setup pay or, um, pay based on the revenue kind of um, share model, which I think it's a nice way to compete with Shopify for smaller businesses who want to start and accelerate e-commerce sales, but might be put off by license fees. So. Uh, Shopware is an interesting platform for me, and I, I think it's it's underknown in the UK market. But I think a lot of other businesses, a lot of businesses, should probably take a look at it and have a consideration. So, what are you seeing as uh, as key changes or, or improvements to Shopware this year? So, um, I think community is the number one thing. I think they've done a really good job. So, as kind of I guess some of the demand around Magento has kind of dropped off a little bit, and Magento has kind of changed its. Um, its target market i think they've really attracted um some of the kind of really talented um kind of technical people around that platform so for example vinay cop i know is doing a lot of work with shopware now and he was kind of one of the top magento developers in the world um and has like a really solid magento background and there's a lot of other kind of architects getting involved with the platform um, and i think that's really good and they're also kind of building i guess building the platform how they're building it it's kind of it's almost like they're trying to take some of that market share from what Magento was in the complex B2C space. Um, but yeah, and I think, I mean, it, I, don't, I haven't really worked with Shopware version 6 in particular um, at all, and I don't know too much about it really. I mean, actually, from reading your notes here, I've learned a few things. Um, but I feel like um, it does have a lot of potential, and it's almost like you look at a platform like Commerce Tools, which is killing it um, in the kind of like enterprise space. Um, it feels like Shopware could be a really good alternative um, in the mid-market space. Um, and I think yeah, move to cloud, uh, the cloud offering is a good move. Um, yeah, but yeah, it might be worth you kind of talking through some of these other points that you've got here. Yeah, we'll come on to commerce tools later because I, I was I've been interested to note that John Lewis is is my yeah. commerce tools in a more micro. So, so let's come to that in a bit. But you're right. So for me, I guess for me, what I was intrigued with the shopware is that they we talked to them towards the end of last year, early this year, is that they decided to re-architect away from what was you know pretty much a like a, a hosted on-premise solution into a proper API driven platform. So they did a full re-architect of it, um, deliberately to make the platform more accessible, more open, to enable people to to you know to use it in headless mode, to do plug and play, to be able to quickly and easily integrate, you know, best in class third party tools. And I think this is where we've been talking about the market is going more is, is people want things that are a bit more flexible. They want to be able to take the core commerce engine, but they want to be able to overlay third-party specialist tools for merchandising, product information management, you know, OMS, whatever it might be. 
but not to be locked in so they don't have to like do complex integrations and then throw away if they want to change a tool in 12, 18 months. So I think that's a key thing. What what I like about the, the cloud version is they've obviously been, been monitoring what the likes of um, Shopify, big commerce has been doing to, to give people speed to market. And having a revenue share for a small business that is looking to minimize its initial outlays, it feels like a, a real good way to get into this smaller business market. So people who think, well, actually, I'm only going to pay if I if I generate revenue. So that's that's a nice way to compete with those other SaaS platforms. But you get the core um, capabilities uh, unless you're not disadvantaged from a feature set point of view. So you get these admin tools, and it's got a really nice UI interface to it. It's simple to use. We've you know we've both seen it. Um, it's got really nice kind of business logic in it to build rules. I guess not not quite as sophisticated as Flow from what I can see, but but very good um, toolkit. And all yeah, that. they've got a similar similar product. I've forgotten what it's called. Yeah, it's really nice, and it enables you to set up automated flows. I, yeah. yeah, it's a classic if this then that model. Like, okay, if somebody if somebody returns a product, then send them out this email through this this particular tool. Um, they've got shopware payments uh, again, and this is this is relatively new because when we last spoke to them, they they weren't really talking about this, but it's using Molly, and Molly's not as well known as Stripe, uh, which is what Shopify payments are built on. So I'd imagine in in, in other Western markets where the likes of Stripes and Adyens are, are better known, that there'll probably be an educational need around it to reassure people that Molly is, you know, it's compliant, it's got all the PCI uh, um, cover, it's got the right features, you know, it's got all the ability from a reconciliation for all control point of view. So I think the product's looking good. It's probably just a bit more communication and messaging needed to help people understand it. Um, yeah. But they've got some really nice things. Though. They've got SendCloud. I've not worked with SendCloud, just to disclose that, but um, pre-built in for shipping management. So if you're a small business that doesn't have all of your back-end systems set up, the fact that it's got these pre-built integrations to enable you to get your order of shipping management capabilities and your payment done, I think that's a really nice addition to the shopware ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, yeah, I did get a, uh, I got a reference um, from a client that's moved over to Shopware recently and I was kind of asking them about it um, and they were really impressed. And I think one of the things that they um, were really positive about was the support as well that Shopware provides, which I don't think you'll get from most of the other platforms in terms of like um, professional services, kind of being able to, uh, I think they have like a Slack group where you can kind of, um, message kind of core developers or maybe not core developers but technical um people as well and uh, that's been pretty good so yeah i think shopware is an interesting one definitely and uh, we've got them coming back on the podcast and uh, well at least from a recording point of view probably to publish next year um so we'll be able to get into a bit more detail on some of these areas so everyone keep your ears peeled for that that um episode coming up in the future as well um okay should we move on to big commerce uh, again another platform i know that that, that you've got a, a decent knowledge about so from my point of view and, and i know you'll talk more about this they, they've had a strong 2020 they've been really active um, in their kind of like marketing and promotion and kind of building out their their um, their relationships in the in the market, but they've also signed some really big clients and and one big project. So they've had Harveys and Bensons for beds, which have gone live now. And I know you've talked about some some big client wins, which historically would have gone with with maybe platforms like a Salesforce Commerce Cloud, so like Harvey Nix and Ted Baker. So from your point of view, where do you think they're they're sitting and where do you think they've been going this year? Yeah, I think I agree. I think out of all of these platforms, the one that's probably like not necessarily growing the most in terms of numbers, but the one that's probably come onto everyone's radar and is really like 
picking up and being taken seriously yeah, is definitely big commerce. So I think they're, they're in pretty much every deal at the moment that I see. Um, I think their positioning is really strong in terms of they call it the open SaaS or an open SaaS. Um, and I think I know they were trying before we're trying to kind of sit in between um, Shopify and Salesforce, I guess, or even Magento and Salesforce. Um, and I think the whole kind of, um, yeah, headless piece as well um, that they're kind of going after is like almost like um, a lightweight version of some of the API first <laughs> platforms. Um, yeah, I, th- I think they're going to be really strong and I think they'll continue to grow. Um, and they've picked up a lot of good deals. So you mentioned some of them there. They've also got Solar Perla launched, which is a big international yeah. project. Um, uh, Grenson, I think, is launching soon. Nokia just launched. Um, and the other, I mean, I think in Europe, they're being taken pretty seriously in like the top mid-market enterprise um, yeah. space. And I know they've been in some of the, I know they've been competing with commerce tools a little bit as well at, at that level. Um, but yeah, it feels like they're doing loads, to be honest. I mean, the big thing that I would say that they've done really well is the kind of building of the ecosystem. Because I think a year ago, uh, that probably wasn't that strong. And you look at it now and, you know, they've got integrations of all the big tech partners, um, at least in, well, yeah, probably globally. Um, And they're going to market with a lot of um, kind of pretty major players. So I know uh, Bloomreach, uh, they're working with Bloomreach on the, on, I think Harvey Nicks and Ted Baker, at least yeah. Ted Baker. And like, and yeah, there's loads of other ones that they're kind of working really closely with. And um, to be honest, I think the, the people that would have looked at Magento before and said, um, you know, this is an obvious one, uh, maybe not had too many options, like the really complex B2C merchants and um, yeah, some of the B2B ones. I think big commerce is, is actually like really competitive in that space now and they're picking up a lot. Yeah, definitely. What's interesting for me is, is uh, you know, having spoken to them quite a bit over the last few years, is is their approach. You know, they don't just want to be an e-commerce platform where you where people go right. We've got an RFP for an e-commerce platform. Let's look at e-commerce. They want to be in the wider mix where people are are looking at the technology stack from different viewpoints. So some RFPs come from a, I want an e-commerce platform. Others come from right. We want a customer experience platform. Um, and the DXB space, you know, is highly competitive. You've got you've got the the big enterprise levels like Adobe's. You've got EpiServer. You've got Bloomreach playing in that from a digital experience point of view, and various others. And actually, it's a smart move to align with with like quadrant leaders in those areas like Bloomreach. And Bloomreach is definitely at the enterprise level, one of the the top around that whole kind of search merch content customer experience bit. So I, I, li- I like the thinking is, is that they don't see e-commerce as always being the the leading point on the table, that sometimes e-commerce is a secondary decision to the overall kind of customer experience piece. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think 2021 will be a good... Um, a good year for them and I think they're, they're almost like carving out a new kind of segment of the market uh, where they're like a bit of an obvious choice so yeah really interesting yeah a client of mine chose big commerce um I worked on it with them and they they, they chose them a, a, a above other like recognized platforms including the, the common SaaS ones because of because of the flexibility of the platform uh, and also uh, because some of the um, ease of use around that that full open API and I know their feedback has been and they're a luxury beauty brand their feedback has been that compared with they used to use uh, Magento they just find 
that the platform in general, from an operational point of view, is much easier to use. Um, and obviously, the SaaS does have a benefit, and the, the platform and the core application support is handled, so you don't have as many bugs to deal with, which is the reality. The the other thing that I do think interesting about big commerce and is there's so much parallel development work, isn't there, amongst all these platforms? I mean, but Open Checkout, which was only just yeah. recently announced, which is, I mean, they, they've had a full API across the platform, but now the full open um, checkout where you can basically control every single pixel of every page in the checkout to, to, you know, their whole promotion is build a truly differentiated shopping experience. Um, so things like, you know, you could add custom CSS rules and JS to, you can, you know, one of the other examples on it is streamlining B2B purchasing so that you can create custom flows based on different, um, yeah, buyers or account types. So you can create a, a, a truly like personalized customer experience. So that seems like a, uh, it seems very similar to the, to what Shopify is trying to do to its checkout. Uh, and it seems like a real battleground at the moment for how easily customizable is the payment, uh, uh, and checkout section yeah yeah absolutely and i think i mean that's a big that whole piece around openness of payments and checkouts is a big uh positive for big commerce i guess across against some of the other ones or shopify really yeah definitely um so big commerce some some key developments there let's move on uh salesforce commerce cloud so um i I'm I'm not I'm not as close to this this year. I have to say, what I've noticed in Salesforce is there's just there's been a lot of like improved kind of core functionality to the platform. They've improved some of the back end um, uh, capabilities for like you know business teams to be able to self serve. Yeah, they've improved stability. I haven't seen any like massive um, announcements apart from Salesforce digital 360 but that's more around the wider ecosystem which is one of salesforce's leading sales point which is you know salesforce is more than just a commerce platform it's got the 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 digital experience piece the marketing the commerce the crm so what what have you noticed in salesforce this year so i think there's one big thing that salesforce have done um which i think is a positive thing but equally i think um I didn't necessarily expect so they're, they're generally like they just seem to have become a lot more open as a platform so the big one was kind of allowing or like building out some apis to kind of allow for headless builds um and from what i've heard they're doing a lot of work on the underlying architecture of salesforce to be a bit more modular um in general um and kind of be a little bit more competitive with some of the microservices oriented platforms um but generally they just seem to be a bit more open from a technical perspective so historically as an example salesforce you've never as a like search providers have never been allowed to integrate with salesforce they wouldn't even entertain um any kind of conversations about it and now they've kind of opened that up and as a third-party search provider you can integrate with salesforce and i think there's a few other um, areas like that um so i'd say that's pretty positive for them but i also i think like they're kind of the one that i mean they're probably the market leader still in the uh particularly lifestyle brands and fashion and luxury in that kind of Enter, like upper mid-market enterprise space and I think there's a lot of competition and I think they've probably been forced to kind of do some of these pieces a little bit but I still think doing that they've still got a lot of competition from the likes of all of the platforms we've mentioned so far and commerce tools in particular. Yeah and, and, and linked to that they I mean it started last year but it's been pushed a bit more this year is the single storefront starter solution so like previously license fees were um, you know for some people felt prohibitive based yeah. on the percentage you'd be paying 
uh, based on the revenue tiers. But they they launched a kind of lower lower um, cost license for single storefronts, which are more simple, which don't use like yeah. so many price catalogs, so many product catalogs. And I think that was a really smart move. And it's from having spoken to a few um uh agencies who, who predominantly build around salesforce they said that's opened up to smaller businesses that are, are potentially fast growing and i think this is a really smart move because you know they're a legacy platform basically they are demandware that's been um repurposed into salesforce's wider ecosystem but still a lot of the old technology is demandware and demandware was built a long time ago so they they do have to think about the fact that you know platforms whether it's a you know, a commerce stores or a shopify or a big commerce are better suited uh, at face value to a small business that then wants to grow and so i think this is a good way for them to try and uh, attract more of that that lower end of the market who then become more valuable bigger customers further down the line who you can then promote into the wider ecosystem of getting the marketing suites the the crm etc yeah absolutely yeah yeah i think um I think it's going to be an interest in 2021 for that, but I'm not too aware of what else they've got in the roadmap um, beyond kind of, I think, some improvements to Einstein and kind of integrating um, more of the platform with the page designer piece. Um, but yeah, I think they're going to have a lot of competition. Yes, definitely. Uh, but that's why I think they, they've been quite smart. If you look through the release notes, they've, they've, they've done a lot of incremental improvements to, to across the kind of um, – you know, the, the customer facing capabilities, things like content management, they've improved page. I know it's a basic page, but they improved it with dynamic page features so you can create more engaging templates and create multiple types of template for the same page type, like, you know, product details pages, not just be stuck with the same template. So they are, I think they're, they're, they're gradually enhancing that feature set. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. I know they've done a lot of improvements around like the kind of front end stuff and they're pushing everyone to use um, the storefront reference architecture is it um, I think they forced everyone to use it now but um, I think that's been a big focus for them over the last kind of 18 months cool let's move on to platform number five Magento um, so we were talking about this earlier and um, I go you're more connected to the Magento community than I am but having worked on a big Magento implementation this year and I guess what what I've what from my point of view that since the move to Magento two and and uh, you know which most sites have made the migration at all, um, there's a lot of uh, the focus is on changing the architecture, improving the core performance, stability, speed, you name it. I've not I've not personally seen like big like you know um, headline grabbing feature um, uh, rollouts on top of trying to improve what was there and getting the kind of the all of the plugins up to speed on too. So where what's your take? What what's happened to Magento in 2020? Yeah, I think um I've seen a similar um kind of yeah, I guess the same thing really. Like I feel like I'm yeah, they've kind of slowed down a lot um recently. And I feel like when you know Magento 2, there was a goal that they were going to do kind of pretty major feature releases every quarter. Um, and that's kind of what they were working towards. And I feel like that's kind of disappeared. Like most of the releases seem to be kind of minor features or um, bug fixes and security fixes. Um, so, yeah, I think I'd like to see them do more. Um, I, there's been some new features for the BCD module. Right now. Sorry. Um, 
yeah, my I'd never have my phone on loud. I don't know how that's ever happened. Um, that adds a bit of spice into the uh, episode. We now know what your musical uh, tastes are. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so a few improvements to B2B and B2B is an area where I think they're pretty strong. But um, yeah, I think they, they probably need to um, do a bit more with so much competition around um, and so many people kind of buy them for their position. The only other thing that I think they've done uh, internally, I think they've their proposition for the with the Adobe products is a lot um, um, kind of more polished. Like feels like a lot of the time they're kind of going to market with some of those Adobe products, and I know they've won some pretty good deals via the Adobe Cloud um, offering. Um, I don't was it this year where they kind of opened up. Um, the kind of cloud infrastructure piece and started working with uh, Google Cloud and Azure. Um, yeah, I think that, maybe that was this year, maybe not. I think they're doing a lot of um, work to improve cloud, but yeah, I don't think there's too much in terms of incremental new features um, coming out at the moment with Magento. Yeah, definitely. So we're, we're basically we're basically working our way through the Gartner Leaders Quadrant. We've done Salesforce. We talked about Magento. So it'd be rude not to uh, talk about SAP. Uh, which is uh, SAP acquired Hybris from an e-commerce platform point of view. So um, I guess from my point of view, what I've seen is um, extent, so they've been working on extending the SAP Commerce Cloud and the microservices. They've built out a they built out Spartacus. And now I'm not a technical consultant, so I'm not going to pretend to know the pros and cons of this, but it's an Angular-based storefront that was um, replacing their legacy uh, Commerce Cloud Accelerator. I know that, that some of the feedback around the Commerce Cloud Accelerator was around performance issues. I imagine that the, the this Spartacus, because it's an SPA, one of the key things it was designed to do is, is to help address that and improve like, speed of websites by putting things like lazy loadable components, um, et cetera. So I guess that for me, that struck me as one of the key, th- key things that's been pushed forward this year. Um, I don't know if you've got anything more to add. I know neither of us really do much work with SAP from an integration point of view. Yeah, so I do very little of it. They're coming on the podcast, um, and I think that would be a very interesting episode. Um, The only other thing I would add is uh, their upscale product. So I have started hearing a few more people talk about that. Um, And from what I've heard, they're putting a lot of time into that. And I think they really want to... uh, kind of develop that product and grow through that and then I guess the Amasis piece is the only other one but yeah I mean I know very little about the uh, CX product. Yeah I'm looking forward to that episode as well because all I've you know what I'm seeing is the kind of from a distance view of keeping an eye on, on what they're announcing and I've seen lots of increments uh, improvements to things like the API capabilities so that those who want to use um, their commerce in a, in a proper you know um, headless setup can take advantage of all the capabilities. For example, like product bundles wasn't previously open to the API. Now it is. They've uh, enabled webhooks and a lot of web development teams prefer to use webhooks. Um, they've improved things like um, search capability as well. So things like adaptive search grouping, which helps you to better um, coordinate related items to bring together and search results in the grid. So it seems like a lot of like smart tactical improvements based around the API openness. So it feels like a bit of a common theme, this, doesn't it, about the API capability? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, let's move on to EpiServer, who um, we, had a, we had a great episode recently with their CEO. He came on to talk about the recent acquisition. So I'll let you talk about this, because this feels like the number one uh, um, development from this year. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I, again, like EpiServer, I know you do, you've done quite a lot with EpiServer in the past. I think the only thing that, um, so I've not worked with it personally from a hands-on perspective. Um, we, like you say, we've had two really good episodes with them. And I think the Optimizely piece is really interesting and like a brilliant brand for them to acquire and a great product. Um, but yeah, I think you know a lot more than I do about this platform. Yeah, I thought what I find interesting is, is out of the box, yeah, natively, they've had stronger A-B testing capabilities than the most platforms out there. It was the, you know, they their content testing capability was ahead of other platforms. Most platforms to do it smartly, you'd have to set up tests using a third-party tool. Um, so, but, so acquiring Optimizely as a, a, a recognized market leader in, in uh, kind of uh, the testing space is interesting to me because it's going to operationalize testing within a platform rather than you needing to do that via integrating a third-party testing tool it's already going to be pre-integrated. It's not yet. Um, I know that uh, that they said that it's obviously the acquisitions happen now. They're going through the integration. Same way that they uh, they acquired Idio uh, twelve months early and they've integrated that properly for content personalization. So the two things for me together, having had the content personalization, which enables them to personalize content across the user journey through search, through a um, product browsing, um, you know, pushing it out into like social channels, etc. Having that and the reporting capability they already had, and then applying on top of that really smart op- uh, operational testing capabilities, that to me is a bit of a game changer um, in terms of it as a stack versus other enterprise stacks. Uh, it definitely, I mean, the, te- the testing capability for Optimize will be better than any other enterprise e-commerce platform I know of. Unless I, unless I fundamentally missed something in other platforms, they won't do testing to the same degree of quality natively without integrating a third-party tool that you'll get through this acquisition. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but that, yeah, that definitely feels like a one to watch. Uh, and, you know, uh, as as they said to us, I mean, the, the real impact of this won't be felt until next year when it's properly integrated. And uh, I, I'm keen, I'm keen to see, what I'm really keen to see is, is what is the user interface process for um, teams who are using EpiServer to then go in and set up tests, uh, you know, and build out, you know, new versions of content pages or to create complex tests where they're having to do code um, development alongside um, running content tests, like, you know, maybe some custom JavaScript tests and whatever it might be. That's a bit I'm intrigued to see because that that will really determine how successful it is but i'm i'm imagining they're going to stick quite faithfully to how optimizely interface works anyway yeah yeah i think that would be an interesting one to see kind of yeah how they use it i keep hearing other um like little rumors about um epi server um buying different technology partners it feels like um yeah they're being pretty aggressive at the moment on that front as well yeah definitely it's been a strong few years for them so Let's let's see where they go with that optimizing integration uh, um, at the start of 2021. Okay, let's move on to the next platform. So we we've got a few now, which are in that that uh, kind of loosely termed API microservices based uh, platform space. So let's start with commerce tools. Um, I know this is a platform you're you're um, quite keen on, and yeah, they they as you said they they're winning some big enterprise projects like John Lewis. I mean, you, you can't get a much bigger um, uh, you know, department store uh, omni-channel business in the UK than John Lewis Partners. 
Yeah, I think, well, I think they've won like a few that are like the equivalent of that in different areas. So they've got Lego, which is, yeah, massive. Uh, Burberry, which there's not many bigger fashion brands. Uh, I think Specsavers. Um, so yeah, they've won some pretty huge enterprise projects. And I guess, you know, they've become like a massive competitor to SAP on that side. Um, but yeah, I mean, from my perspective, I've had like a few demos and calls with them and stuff. We had our first kind of company that we've been like loosely working with that went with them who are a bit smaller. Um, and I've been really impressed. I think it take it probably takes a certain type of company and team to work with it because it's such a technical platform and there's so many other kind of technologies that be involved um but yeah i think it's probably uh got a very good future and yeah a bit of a market leader in that kind of api first space um the only other thing that um i have seen them do a lot more of is start building integrations with technology partners so um, a few of the technology companies that we've worked with um have been approached by them or are kind of building integrations with them um, and i think that's a good move for them just to try and like I guess reduce costs and um yeah make things a bit easier um but yeah I think um next year will be a good year for them again and they seem to be involved in a lot of these kind of big digital transformation projects yeah I think that's that's an interesting one isn't it that that for some of these platforms the focus is on the building the community around it in terms of um, commercial partners for integrations and, and, and you know pre-built integrations, and then the SIs to accelerate um, the route to market. Uh, for a lot of them, in in certain geographies, especially in places like the UK, that's a key thing. So interesting to see that that's a key area of growth. Yeah. Let's move on to a kind of similar platform from an architectural point of view, uh, Elastic Path. So. If I was to pull out an area where the, the, and again, this is not based on, I'm not based on this on having worked on a project doing it. I've been following them to see where they're kind of building out the platform. B2B, they seem to have, have made some inroads this year. So they, for example, they got a partnership with Punch-Out to go for B2B. So this is Punch-Out catalog capabilities, really important in, in some businesses for, for automating procurement flows. Um, they've, They've enabled like automations between Elastic Path and procurement platforms like SAP, Ariba, Oracle, and others. Uh, if you're for those working in the in the B two B procurement space, I, those are some of the biggest uh, brands out there. Uh, so that that feels like a a kind of real value add for them uh, in terms of of building out a more mature B two B suite. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, this is a platform that I have very little exposure to. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's, um, I don't know if you'd agree with this. I haven't, so the times where this has come up in conversations, it's almost always been in the US. And I feel like a couple of years ago, it's getting bigger in the UK. And I know Charlotte Tilbury was like a big win for them in the UK, but um, I haven't seen it around that much recently. I haven't seen it, like I would say that, like I hear commerce tools mentioned a lot more than Elastic Path. But um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting platform. It's obviously pretty established and they've got a lot of kind of big users, but I've definitely, um, I'd, I'd expect that it's bigger in the US. Uh, yeah, it definitely feels that way. I, I know a few people who've, who've mentioned it when I've been talking to them about um, their replatforming plans, and then it kind of doesn't go past there. And I wonder whether it's just, I wonder whether with uh, for a lot of businesses, the likes of Commerce Tools and Elastic Pass feel technically more complex, yeah. even though they they actually won't be if you have the right development partner because you know, building on Magento is complex if you don't have the, if you don't have the in-house 
development skills because of the you know the the reality of trying to make an open source platform stable performance um bug free etc so i do feel like but maybe there's just a lack of understanding of of what the platform is what you get and what you need to do to make it work for you yeah absolutely um They've, they've done some interesting additions, though, functionally as well, Elastic Path. So, um, you know, they've been making uh, you know, improvements to their reference store. I know you talked about reference store architecture with Salesforce. They obviously have their reference store architecture as well, Elastic Path. They've done things like search, voice search integration with, with Algolia from a, a, um, you know, to, to improve um, uh, voice search. And voice search is grown. It's still not... It's still not past the fifty percent mark that was predicted maybe two months ago, but it's still an important and it's important for um, some uh, brands and product verticals more than others. And they've made some updates into their their kind of core dashboard for um, you know back office capabilities for e-commerce teams, such as simple processing of, of refunds rather than having to go and do your refunds via payment gateway. So it feels like some real kind of tactical improvements in the in, in admin side, you know, the kind of things where where people are so used to. A admin tool from a you know a what was considered a, a standard platform doing it, and then these more API service based ones might not have such a mature admin suite, and that can sometimes uh, you know not tick the box for, for for clients. So it's good to see them improving capability in these areas. Yeah, and I think the other one that we haven't mentioned, I don't know if it was this year or last year, I can't remember, but they bought Malted, didn't they? Which um, is quite a big acquisition. Um, and a great brand in that kind of API first space. And I think they were like arguably the original um, kind of microservices based uh, platform. Yeah, yeah, good point. And they've been making, they definitely been making changes from a, a technical underpinning point of view. They they moved their um, commerce cloud to a new production instance to, to improve scalability and security. Um, they launched a React PWA reference storefront in July. So I guess that they're constantly in working on the underlying technical infrastructure to provide a product that is flexible and scalable and gives you know, modern development teams the, the the kind of architecture that they want to work with. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think um, it's a platform that I don't know enough about, really, to be honest. Uh, it's impo- Well, we always say this, don't we? Um, and this is the one of the reasons we launched this podcast is, there are so many platforms out there, no platforms perfect for every business and it's impossible to stay on top of everything. I mean, even what we're doing today is just a, a minor snapshot of the overall market just to try and give people some of the key developments. Uh, if we tried to cover every development, I think we'd be on for a world record continuous. Exactly, yeah. And then people would have lost the will to live. <laughs> um, um, yeah, no, I was going to say, the, uh, the next one's an interesting one. Um WooCommerce, and uh, this is a platform that I haven't done uh, too much with, really, in like the last kind of four or five years. Um, what are your thoughts on WooCommerce, and what have you seen? Um, so, I guess, yeah, another platform that that I know from a distance, but I'm intrigued by, um, simply because of the 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 sheer installation base on WordPress, and if you have a, a lot of sites, typically get into WooCommerce having been WordPress content sites and then expanding into commerce and it's a plugin and it's fully compatible and therefore it's a, it's probably the most seamless transition you can do to commerce rather than pivoting to a different platform. So I, I like that. I like that ecosystem around WordPress because WordPress is a, you know, it's a market leading um, content management system. So you've got a lot of advantages there. 
Uh, what's interesting, I think, from this year, what I've seen, Woo Payments launched in the US. So this doesn't it sound a bit like uh, Groundhog Day? We're talking about all these platforms of all their yeah. payments and their checkouts and they're opening up, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, so Woo Payments has launched you know, their inbuilt um, payment mechanism and it includes subscriptions. There we go. We've hit the other buzzword for payment yeah. subscriptions. So there seems to be a much of a muchness and I guess it's it's just... A lot of the a lot of the platform developments is closing off gaps in in um, feature offering where you could potentially lose out to another platform on a specific use case. And there are a lot of businesses who've been wanting to push subscription commerce. So, uh, you know, twenty twenty in COVID and e commerce growth and wanting to keep people uh, you know uh, buying with you. I think subscription commerce has, has been growing before that, but it's been growing even quicker. So I think that's that's a sensible approach. I don't know enough about what's um, what the availability is in the UK yet, though. Yeah, yeah, I'm not too sure either. Um, I would say with um, uh, with I think there's, I've seen like a bit of a trend of some of the uh, kind of because there's actually a lot of like brands on WooCommerce, and I think I've seen a bit of a trend of brands that are on WooCommerce moving Shopify um, or kind of reviewing. But I guess there's so many good platforms out there at the moment, and I think so like most brands just seem to prefer the idea of being on some level of SaaS platform um but yeah i'm intrigued to see what woocommerce do because obviously um it's not um it's not like a licensed platform like some of the other um options um and it'd be yeah i'm just intrigued to see where they take it and whether they kind of build it out and improve it or whether it just kind of remains um similar um yeah because it's kind of more of a um i guess like um in fact i'm gonna edit this out i'll pause but yeah i'm intrigued to see where they go with it or if they develop it a lot more yeah well, what's interesting for me is that they they do have some pretty punchy integrations so they they add an integration to intercom and intercom i guess comparable to to platforms like zendesk from a customer management point of view with with live chat messaging you know, customer experience flows um, notifications, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, that, that's a, 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 a solid SME enterprise tool and popular with some, some big brands. And I know a few clients of mine who are currently looking at Intercom as an option. So they've got some really good integrations when you look at their, their kind of, well, their equivalent of the, the app stores. And they're, they're constantly improving, um, uh, you know, the core feature set. So it's a, it's a good platform. But again, it comes, I think your comment about the SaaS stuff is right. For those businesses who've decided that SaaS is the right way forward, they don't want to have like a hosted or open source or they don't want to have any of the, the additional challenges that come with that. It doesn't mean that that's the wrong model. It just means there are different challenges with it. It, it does then preclude it. But if someone's chosen SaaS, WooCommerce isn't on the table, so that's a moot point. And if somebody's on WordPress and they want a, a, a simple route into um, launching a commerce store, then integrating the WooCommerce plugin through a development agency is simpler than having to say, right, I'm going to completely swap and go to a different platform and I'm going to have to like learn that platform and learn, uh, I'm going to have to integrate WordPress into that or I'm going to have to use a different CMS and get to use to that. So it feels like it's it's in a good place for a, a quite a large number of um, of um, smaller businesses, but interestingly, as you said, winning some bigger businesses. Yeah. So that brings us on to the the last one we're going to talk about today, simply because otherwise we'll be going on uh, banging on for hours. Um, and it's a, it's one that 
that we covered recently on our podcast, and I'm quite interested in Proximus, a French-based commerce platform um, positioned as unified commerce because it's not just an e-commerce engine. It's got a full OMS and it enables um, some really quite sophisticated kind of order management flows and integrated customer experiences around things like unified baskets and uh, you know, in-store uh, to online. So I've been I've been interested in this and, and learning more about them this year. They've they've got their Proximus Magic Cart that they've now opened up to API, and their their Magic Cart is part of their unified commerce solution. So basically, a shopping cart that can work online and in store. Um, you can retain and share baskets um, on common identifiers like email and mobile, so that you don't have to lose um, products. Um, uh, sorry, basket visibility from online into store. So that that for me feels like quite an interesting um, update in 2020. What was your take? Because I know that, uh, that you've been um, looking at that with me as well. That platform. Yeah, I think I think it looks really interesting. It's um, it's an area that a lot of the platforms don't seem to be anywhere near, or the um, OMS side kind of omni channel or multi channel piece. Um, I think is is like they're really strong, and a lot of the other platforms don't seem to have that focus. Um, yeah, and I think opening that up so it is compatible with other platforms is a good move. But yeah, I mean, it looks like a re- it looks a really interesting platform, and they've obviously got some amazing brands in France. So I'm intrigued to see, um, yeah, what they do as well um, over the next year or so. Yeah, exactly. And I know that we're due to do another episode with them early next year around um, some more of the unified commerce um, talking points, which will be interesting to get a bit more detail around things like the the Magic Cart and the OMS. But well, yeah, I, I like the fact that the, the API has been opened up more so that it can connect to any front end. And I guess this this is in line with, with previous comments we talked about in other platforms where people want to build out like a, a custom front end layer uh, maybe they want to build a, in a specific you know, um, framework like a view storefront or whatever, and they, they don't want the commerce to dictate what the front end is. So it's sensible to do that, and especially with their strength in order management because they've got really good stuff around linking up unified stock around store stock and online, online reservations, click and collect, et cetera. So I think they're probably going to be quite omni-channel focused in their, their roadmap for 2021 as well. Yeah, and I think um, one trend of what we've been talking about today that's quite interesting is the concept of like a platform um, is becoming um, less or like not everyone's basically just looking for an e-com platform anymore. Like half the time it feels like a lot of people are looking um, for kind of aspects of a platform and then they're coupling those with other technologies. Like you say, view storefront on the front end side, order management systems and kind of different technologies on that side merchandising and i think um that'll be another interesting trend um for a lot of these platforms and a lot of merchants next year yeah definitely well you know hopefully that replatform podcast is still going strong next year mm. people are still listening to us and we can do a 2021 yeah. uh, digest of how things have changed <laughs> so uh, have we missed anything um anything Any like anything big that was on your list of things to, to talk about not really. I think there's, I mean, there's a lot of other interesting platforms. You said some of them earlier. I think for me, I thought it's Sentry is one we had on the platform that I was really impressed with and I think uh, is very interesting. Uh, there's a platform called Sailor that I've seen uh, a couple of times with different clients that, I was, that again, seems quite good. Another kind of API first. Um, headless orientated platform that looks pretty impressive. Um, I'm still keeping a close eye on work area in the US, um, who I think are going to come to Europe at some point. Um, yeah, and it, it feels like it's just so many out there. And co- commerce layers, another one. Um, the yeah, um, 
and W2 Solutions in Japan, who we're, we're talking to, to to understand a bit more about their platform, who are trying to expand their their European reach. So it is a. Uh, you know, we can't cover all the changes, but hopefully for the people listening, this has been, at least it's been a bit of an insight into some of the key things that we've picked up on this year, things that are a bit interesting and where the platforms are going. And uh, as with always, uh, we're open to, to suggestions and conversations. So if anyone wants to carry on this chat, do let us know, get in touch through social, drop us a line through the website. We'd, we'd happily listen to other people's viewpoints on this as well. Yeah, brilliant. Cool. Well, thanks for listening as always, everybody. Always a pleasure to chat, Paul. Enjoy the rest of your evening, mate.